The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. I also am the owner of Transworld Business Advisors here in Naperville, Illinois. It's 40 miles west of Chicago. Transworld Business Advisors is the largest and fastest growing business brokerage, and we have over 225 offices globally. So we're here to assist you with your mergers and acquisitions needs, whether it's on the buy side or on the sell side. And of course, I am your host here for Building Better Businesses, and I'm delighted to bring together today with us something that I need some help with from time to time, and that's brand identity. She's a subject matter expert in that area. We'll learn a little bit more about her background and uh, how she helps those that are in need of that. But she is the founder and CEO of Mavens and Moguls. And before we got started here, we talked a little bit about our corporate background. She has some pretty impressive credentials. So first of all, I welcome you, Paige Arnoff-Fenn. Thank you so much for joining us. And now let's uh, learn a little bit about you. Where are you now? What are you doing? And uh, tell us about your firm. Well, thanks so much, Steve, for having me. It's great to be here today. So I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is just across the river from Boston. And I've been here for about 20 years. It's kind of hard to believe. I moved to the East Coast uh, back here in 1999 and thought I'd be here for one to two years. And here I am. So I started Mavens and Moguls, like I said, 20 years ago. And I kind of came into it through... Uh, a more traditional corporate route. So like you, I started my career post-college. I graduated from Stanford and I um, joined uh, Morgan Stanley in, in New York City. It was the 80s. The Wall Street movie had just won the Oscar and I was hooked and decided I wanted to go conquer the world. So I worked for two years as a financial analyst on Wall Street and realized pretty early on it was not what I wanted to do. So I applied to get an MBA and uh, went back to school and rebranded myself. I did a summer internship at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati and fell in love with marketing. I started in the paper division and ended up coming back after business school, after my internship, and worked as a marketing manager on CoverGirl Cosmetics, which was a lot more fun. My original brand was... uh, White Cloud Toilet Tissue, which is the precursor to Charmin Ultra. And those are focus groups I really don't wish on anybody. CoverGirl was a lot more fun. We got to work with a lot of the supermodels and it was a really fun, fun, fun period. You know, toilet paper is a destination. You have to buy it. Cosmetics is more of an impulse purchase. So you really learn a lot about what it is to motivate uh, customers and consumers to buy your product. Um, not something they need, but it's something that they want. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I spent about three and a half years at Procter & Gamble, and that was great. I really enjoyed learning the basics, 
P&G is the inventor of brand management. It's like a marketing boot camp. So you really learn the basics of marketing. You do every part of the kind of marketing mix. So you learn everything. Then I left P&G to go run a joint venture for the Olympics for the 96 games in Atlanta. And that was great. I'm a huge sports fan. And working for the Olympics was a dream job, probably my favorite job before I started my company 20 years ago. When the Olympics ended, I went to Coca-Cola as the assistant chief marketing officer. And that was an amazing brand as well. Coke is probably the most recognized logo and brand in the world. So having worked for the Olympics, which is another kind of global brand, and then Coca-Cola, you really... uh, You know, I traveled constantly at Coke. It's a brand that's sold in over 200 countries around the world. So I think I had three extensions in my passport while I worked there, but it was really fun. And, you know, it touches so many people's lives in so many happy ways. So I I loved working there as well. But then in 97, I got bitten by the dot-com bug. As the internet was starting to take off, I left my big, cushy corporate life behind And I went to my first startup as the head of marketing out in Los Angeles. It was a music site. And we went public in 99 and we were sold to Yahoo, which was fantastic. It was a wild ride. Then my husband got a job in Boston. So we moved back to the East Coast. And I did a second startup as the head of marketing. And about a year and a half later, we were sold to Bertelsmann, which uh, ironically, I think everyone thinks when you go public, you hit the big time. It was good, but being bought by a private company is even better because when the deal's done, they cut you a check and you're done. With an IPO, if you're one of the people in the prospectus, you have to wait to sell your stock. So uh, the second deal was a, a much bigger deal for me. And then I did a third startup as the head of marketing. And that also went public and was sold to a public company. So I call them my three base hits. I made a little money three times. I'm not Sheryl Sandberg. I didn't work for Google, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. So they were all really fun brands, really fun businesses. I was the head of marketing for all three of them. So taking a brand that no one had ever heard of before and then creating that brand, you know, getting it ready for sale and successfully selling it was an amazing ride three times. But 9-11 hit right after the third deal. And 9-11 was pretty uh, startling on a million levels, but in particular, it really wiped out marketing budgets and marketing departments across the board. So pretty much every company after 9-11 wanted to conserve cash and put their marketing on hold. So I had just gotten bought out of my third startup and, um, you know, I didn't have to work, but I was only in my early 30s. So I wanted to work and I was having fun. And all three of the startups I just told you about were all venture-backed startups. So I knew a lot of private equity people, a lot of venture capitalists on both coasts. The first startup had been in California, the other two here in Boston. And people were coming out of the woodwork asking me to help. So I knew a lot of people who I had worked with and hired over the years. I had a lot of projects of people that needed help marketing, and nobody had a marketing department anymore. So they said, Paige, you've helped me before. Can you help me again? And I put the people and the projects together and I just started helping. And I called the women the marketing mavens and the guys the marketing moguls. For short, I call them mavens and moguls. I kind of like the alliteration. Maven is a Yiddish term. 
It means expert, or my great-grandmother would say know-it-all. A mogul, if you look it up in Merriam-Webster, is someone of rank, power, or distinction in a specified area. And I felt like these were the best marketing people I had worked with in my career. They were all available because everyone had just gotten laid off in their great marketing jobs after 9-11. So we just formed teams based on what clients needed. And we helped them. We rolled up our sleeves. So I had PR people, market research people, branding people, advertising people. So it was just like a virtual marketing department. And everybody worked distributed around the world. I had just from the start, people in 14 cities across the U.S., I had people overseas. When you start your career at companies like P&G, Coca-Cola, these are global brands. So my network was global and our clients were everywhere. People um, came out of the woodwork and said, we need help. What can you do? You know, we need a logo. We need a website. We need stationery. You know, can you write some copy for us? And we said, sure. And we've been doing it ever since. So it's kind of funny to me. I always joke I'm like the accidental entrepreneur because I never wrote a business plan. If you had met me in college or in business school, I thought I was going to be Meg Whitman. I wanted to be a Fortune 500 CEO. I wanted to run big brand, big company, global business. And it's funny how life kind of took a turn. And I've been pretty much in small business ever since 1997. You know, I went from the big corporate jobs to the startup jobs to starting my own company. And I've never looked back. I love it. I wake up every day kind of psyched to help my clients. The majority of my clients are kind of small, emerging, mid-market companies, 2 million to 200 million in revenue. We've done a lot of work for Fortune 500 companies. And we've done a lot of work for like early stage, pre-revenue venture-backed startups. But the majority are kind of in the middle. The bigger the company, when we do work for Fortune 500 companies, we work usually on a project basis because the big companies have marketing departments, they have agencies. The small companies, we may be their marketing department. They may use us in lieu of hiring a big team because they can tap into my network and use whoever they need. This month, they need market research. Next month, they want to fix their website. Maybe they've got a trade show coming up in six months. Maybe they want to do a PR program. So we can help them do all those things and they can just work with us on an as-needed basis. So that's a long-winded answer of saying, I've been in marketing a long time. I've kind of done it from a whole bunch of angles and I still love doing it 20 years later on my own. So that 11-minute answer means we have about three hours and 45 minutes for my follow-up. I'm just kidding. We're not going to take that long. But I do have a few questions. So before we take what you just ended with, I have to rewind your videotape a little bit. You had a career on Wall Street for a couple of years. I did investor relations, so I knew what you did. I know all about that. You're communicating between a company and you as the uh, investment analyst, get that. Then you went to marketing and big names. So let's talk about your childhood and upbringing. So again, I have to rewind the videotape back to when you were a little girl. And I think you told me you grew up in Tennessee and other places. Louisiana. Louisiana. Okay. So tell me about your childhood. What were your interests back then? Did you think that you would be A, on Wall Street for a short period of time, and then helping such a big name as Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola? What were you thinking about as a young child? And tell me a little bit how your family influenced your upbringing to where you are today. 
All right. So I grew up really in New Orleans and I'm the oldest of three kids. My dad was a commercial banker and both my grandfathers were commercial bankers. My mom was a a mom. She was a homemaker. And I always knew I wanted to get into business because my dad and my grandfathers would sit around the table when we got together at holidays and they'd talk about the banks that they worked for. So I always kind of thought I'd be a banker. My grandfathers were more entrepreneurial. One graduated from high school. I don't think the other one even made it into high school. They were very entrepreneurial. They were both successful businessmen who both ended up in bank, commercial banking. My dad went to college and he got his MBA at Harvard, which again, planted the seed to me, like, you know, on our family vacations and people would come by the house and they were classmates of his his from business school. So in my mind, I had a little Harvard sweatshirt when I was about two or three years old. And one of my favorite childhood pictures of me is me standing with my arms kind of on my waist, on my hips, wearing my Harvard sweatshirt. And, you know, when people say like, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, I never said I want to be a mom or I want to be a nurse. I'd always say, I want to get my MBA at Harvard and go into business because like, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And when I got to college, I chose being an economics major. My dad had majored in econ. And I knew I wanted to go into business. So I thought that would be a great kind of degree. Like I said, I went to Wall Street for two years. My interpretation of going to Wall Street and working in investment banking was that I was the renegade of the family. Like they all did commercial banking. I was going to be an investment banker. So I thought I was shaking things up. What I realized pretty quickly is I'm very good with numbers. I'm very analytical. But I didn't really love the work. I mean, I got paid really well. I think my bonus second year paid for business school. So, you know, financially, it was a success. But it didn't really, I didn't want to just be one side of my brain. I kind of liked doing something that offered a little more right brain and left brain. So when I left Morgan Stanley after two years, I had this epiphany that there were only three parts of my job that I really enjoyed. I mean, I was good at it, but I didn't really like it. The only things I liked were when the deals closed, whether it was an acquisition or a sale or you raised some equity or debt. At the end of each deal, we celebrated with a closing dinner. We ran an ad in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And we had a, at the dinner, we gave gifts to everybody who was part of the deal. We gave them a Lucite tombstone commemorating the deal. That was the ad from the paper. And then a gift, a tchotchke. I loved running the ads in the paper, like designing the ads and working with the newspapers. I loved working with the restaurants, putting together a really fun closing dinner and deciding what the theme was going to be and what the gift was going to be. And a girlfriend of mine said to me the summer before business school, she was headed to Wharton, I was headed to Harvard, and she loved investment banking and she wanted to go back and stay in finance forever. And she said, what about you? And I said, oh, God, no way. There's no way you could pay me to do this again. She's like, what are you talking about? You're so good at it. I said, no, but I don't like it. I want to do something fun. She's like, you have to have had fun. I said, the only times I had fun were around the closings. And so I explained to her what I liked. And she said, Paige, guess what? You're not a finance person. You're a marketing person. I said, what's marketing? I had never taken a marketing class. I didn't know what marketing was. She said, okay, closing dinners, that's event planning. 
Tchotchkes, those are promotions. Ads in the newspaper, that's advertising. Those are all marketing things. When you get to business school, you're going to take marketing. That's your thing. You have to do marketing. So I went into business school like very curious, like thinking, I got to figure out what this marketing thing's all about. Because at Stanford, it was a liberal arts college. I didn't take any marketing. I didn't even know what marketing was. So first semester, first year of business school, we had a marketing class and our marketing professor was so hard. We were all completely scared of her. And the big thing at Harvard is they cold call you in class. So of course, I got a cold call one day on a case for marketing, but I really prepared well. And she called me to open the case and I knew I had nailed it. I did a great job opening the case. I got the top score in the marketing class. I was asked to be a tutor for the first year. When I became a second year student, because of my marketing strength, they wanted me to tutor the first year students in marketing. I was elected the president of the marketing club. I had been the president of the econ club in college, and I was president of the marketing club in grad school. And I got the summer internship at P&G, which is like a great marketing company. P&G is like the mecca of marketing. So basically... I rebranded myself. I went from a finance person going in to a marketing person coming out. And it was great. And it has been a really good career for me. I think my analytical training and the fact that I am so kind of comfortable with numbers has been a huge benefit to me in marketing because marketing is not just fluffy. I mean, it's very, there's a lot of science and art. It's not just making pretty ads. There's a lot of strategy and a lot of data in marketing, especially now online. So I think, again, it really plays to my wanting to balance the left brain and the right brain. But it's funny. I think three years after I started my company, Harvard Business School asked if they could write a case about mavens and moguls. And I just thought that was crazy because when I was in business school, we did cases on IBM and Xerox and General Motors. And I was just this small private company. But, you know, by the year 2000, the world had changed a lot. Like I said, the internet had really already taken off. And a lot of students were very interested in working for startups and starting their own business. So the professor had a case writer work with me. They actually wrote two cases on my company. And they taught them both to the MBAs and the executive education people. And what's really amazing, and Harvard Business School cases are used all over the world. I got calls for years from people asking me, can you come to my class? Can we talk to you about your case? And, you know, I just never would have guessed a little company that I drew up in my mind that like no business plan is now commemorated with two cases at Harvard Business School. And it's funny, I think my parents, you know, I told you about all these jobs I had over the beginning of my career. And I think my parents really worried about me that like I couldn't hold down a job. My dad had worked for two commercial banks his entire career. And it was a really big deal when the recruiting company hired him to move banks. We moved from Tennessee to Louisiana. And that was a really big deal. My one grandfather worked for the same bank his entire career. So, you know, here I had worked for Morgan Stanley, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, three startups. And I think my parents really worried, like, why can't I hold down a job? 
when HBS wrote these two cases on my company, I sent them to my father, who I said graduated from there. And to him, like I had arrived, like I think they didn't realize what I was doing. But when he read it in a case, he's like, wow, this is a real company. I can't believe it. And I joke that like a front page article on the wall in the Wall Street Journal or in the business pages of the New York Times probably wouldn't have carried as much weight with my dad as a Harvard Business School case study. So he died a very happy man that I had, I had arrived. I made it. Well, it's amazing. You know, you talk about your big name corporate experiences, Morgan Stanley, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble. I mean, you can't get any more than the top of the ranks there, but I'm sure you took away quite a bit of learning there. So much, so much. So you got to tell me a little bit about what those Harvard Business Reviews focused on for your case study. I will tell you that in college, actually it was grad school, the most impressive article I read out of the Harvard Business Review, the title of the article is Why an MBA is Worthless Until He's Fired from His or Her First Job. The reason why they said that is that if you've never been fired, you've never dealt with adversity. So if you can deal with that adversity and bounce back, then good for you. And you, you started up three, you sold three, so tell me a little bit about the Harvard Business Re Review of your company and what were they focusing in on? How does it relate to building better businesses? I'm sure they were talking about you building your business, best practices. Tell me a little bit about what they focused on and what you can share with our audience about, quote, building better businesses. So I think, you know, the backstory about me as a person and my personal strengths, I think you know, the thing about building great brands is the best brands are authentic brands, brands that really resonate with people and play to the strengths of the kind of personality of that brand. And I think what made, you know, now I look back on my corporate career and I'm almost amazed I was as, as successful as I was in a corporate environment because I was always the person trying to bend, break, and change the rules. Like at P&G, they invented the concept of brand management. Like every category they compete in, you know, it's Tide detergent, it's Pantene shampoo, Pampers diapers, Charmin, Bounty, Oil of Olay. Like if you look at their brands, they are leaders in every single category, maybe even number one and number two in a category, Coca-Cola, market leader. It's just, I feel like I was really grounded in learning the basics of great brand marketing. And because these companies train and develop their talent, you know, they invested a lot in me as a, as a marketer. And so I really learned the basics, but I was always so frustrated that I would go into my boss's office and say, like, I know you want to do, you know, a product launch or a new ad. Have you thought about this? Or what about this? Isn't this a great idea? And they'd always say to me, Paige, P&G is not looking for you to reinvent the wheel. We know how to do this. You need to go execute it to excellence. Like, that's what we're asking you to do. But I always have like a twist or some something new, different. and somehow I got my job done and, you know, was successful there. But I think if you talk to any of my bosses from my corporate life, 
they would all tell you I was a huge pain in the ass to them. Like, I think they would all scratch their head and be like, I mean, she was good, but like, did she have to like overthink everything? Like, why did she always try and come up with these ideas? But I think what I didn't realize is I was really more entrepreneurial in my nature. And I was trying to be more entrepreneurial, maybe in a corporate setting. But that's at least back in that era, maybe now working at P&G and Coke is more entrepreneurial. But when I was there in the, you know, 90s, they just wanted you to kind of do your job. And so when I got to the startups, my first startup in LA, you know, I was young, but uh, I was one of the oldest people at the company. The two guys who founded the technology company were younger than me. And I had a lot more business experience than they did. And Internet 1.0, we raised, I think, 30 or $40 million right away. It was before the internet bubble burst the first time. And all the money we raised was for marketing. So all of a sudden, I walk into this job, and I'm the grown-up, and I've got a pot of money. And everyone's looking at me like, okay, Paige, what do we do? And what's weird is when you grow up in a P&G or Coke, A, I started at the very bottom rung and worked my way up. And they assume there are lots of checks and balances you have meetings and you have to write memos and you have to have approvals. These startups were like the wild west. There was no, you know, so my third week on the job of the first startup in LA, they asked me to come to the board meeting and present my marketing plans. Okay. I'd been there three weeks. I walk in, I explain kind of my due diligence process. I put up some slides. I'm there to answer questions. And I lay out what I think we'd like to do with all this money. And I look out at the board and there's some really heavy hitters. And they put, like I said, these are people who put tens of millions of dollars into this company. And I'm like, here's what I am recommending. You know, please ask me some questions. And they were thrilled. They're like, wow, you went to great schools. You have great experience. This is amazing. And it really scared me because when I was at Coca-Cola, like I said, it was the last year of Roberto Gozueta's life. He was this legendary time man of the year, you know, the head of the biggest, most successful company, one of the top companies in the world. The chief marketing officer at Coke at the time was a guy named Sergio Zeman. He did both New Coke and Diet Coke. Diet Coke was the biggest marketing success of all time. And New Coke was the biggest failure of all time. And they fired him and then they brought him back. And he hired me to be his kind of right arm. They joked his name was the Ayacola. He was uh, from Mexico. He had this accent and he was tough. The toughest boss I think I ever had. And you had to justify everything. If you walked into his office and you had an idea, he wanted data and facts and proof. And he challenged, you know, you'd say it's a beautiful day. And he'd say, why is it a beautiful day? Like, well, the sky's blue. Is it blue or is it, you know, would you call it azure? Like every day it was like challenge, challenge, challenge. So I walk into my board meeting three weeks after starting when I really, it's my first job as an internet tech startup, you know, marketing, head of marketing. And everybody says, great, your plans are amazing. Go get them. You know, congratulations. We're so glad to have you. Well, I leave that meeting. I go back to my desk. 
And I called my old boss at Coke. I called Sergio on the phone. He was still at Coke at the time. And I said, Sergio, I'm scared to death because I left your company to come take this job. And these people, like, I thought they were smart because they hired me. Now I think they're the stupidest people in the whole world because they're trusting me to make every decision and spend all the money. And what if this doesn't work? And he, of course, being him, said, you're not the smartest person in the whole world. You need challenge. You have to be challenged. So I explained to him what's going on. And I said to him, I have a crazy idea. But what if I introduce you to the two guys who founded this company? And what about you joining the board so that I can keep working for you? And then I'll have somebody on the board to challenge me and help me think it, think it through. He said, get on a plane, bring the guys out here, come to Atlanta, and I'll decide. So we did. Next week, we got on a plane. I brought the founder. Anyway, long story short, he joined the board. And I had a boss again who challenged me and helped me think through. And like I said, we created a great business. We went public and we were sold to Yahoo. It became Yahoo Music. It was phenomenally successful. And so I think back to your original question, my meandering answer, it's basically about me being as Mavens and Moguls is a reflection of me, the brand. You know, I didn't want the company named after me, but it does reflect me. And like I said, I think of this ecosystem I've created, these women and men that come together as real marketing experts. And I might be the leader, the visionary, but it's much bigger than me. I'm not the expert in everything, but I have people who are really good at PR and really good at at quantitative market research and really good at qualitative market research and great web designers and graphic designers. I'm not the best at any one of those. I used to joke that I'm like the conductor of a world-class orchestra. I don't play the piano the best. I don't play the violin the best. I'm not the cello player, the drums, the percussionist, but I can get everybody to play beautiful music together. And I used that analogy for years until we ended up getting hired by Ben Zander and the Boston Philharmonic. And he is a world-class conductor. And I told him my analogy and he said, oh God, you're not a conductor. No, use something else. That's a bad analogy. But, um, you know, I feel like, you know, the brand caught on and resonated because it is authentically me. It plays to my personal strengths. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I know how to build a team around me. And try and kind of connect the dots and get out of the way and let people do their best work. And I feel like I try and live that every day. And so the real question in the case that comes up inevitably in every discussion when I get invited to go to the classroom is like, if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, is it really a business or is it me? And I still don't really know how to answer that question. I mean, I have people that have been part of my network part of the Mavens ecosystem for more than 20 years. Would they continue Mavens without me? I don't know, maybe. But the truth is, I'm kind of the front end and the back end. I still am responsible for selling more than 90, 95% of the work. So I'm bringing in, you know, I do the writing, I do the speaking. I'm the lead gen engine. The people on the team are the ones on the critical path. 
They're the ones day in and day out getting all the deliverables to the clients. I'm never the quarterback of a client team. But on the back end, I make sure the contracts are signed. I make sure everybody gets paid. I do all the invoicing, payroll, accounting. So it's a real business, but it's a reflection of the kind of things I love doing and what I'm really good at. Well, unfortunately, Paige, we're running out of time here, but you will pack this podcast interview with a host of nuggets. Normally, there are two or three. We've got a little bit more than two or three. And normally, I would ask as my last question, is there anything else you want this audience to know? I think they know everything about you, but I will wrap it up for you in saying that networking is critical. It's not what you know, but who you know, because you build strong teams. You're well-connected. For you to get someone from Coca-Cola to be on a board is phenomenal. So you've demonstrated how networking works effectively, how building teams worked effectively, how you defer and give the subject matter expertise to those who know about the subjects that they need to know about. There's so much more we could talk about. Unfortunately, we don't have the time, but you get one last question and you can't take 11 minutes to answer this. How do we go find out more about Paige? Where do we go to find out more about you? So the two places, go to my website, mavensandmoguls.com. It's spelled out M-A-V-E-N-S-A-N-D-M-O-G-U-L-S.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, which was started by a college buddy of mine. Um, I was one of the early, early users. Just look me up, Paige Arnoff-Fenn. It's uh, LinkedIn, and I think it's all smushed together. Paige, P-A-I-G-E-A-R-N-O-F-F-E-N-N, no hyphen. You can find me. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Paige, for your time, your insights. You've done a lot. You work with big companies, you work with small, and you demonstrated success all the way through. Thanks so much. And audience, thank you for joining us for another edition of Building Better Businesses. Take care. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.